Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. The grass is not always greener on the other side, but the grass is definitely, definitely always greener wherever you water it. Is a balanced life something you aspire to? Is it something you consider worthy of pursuing? And if so, how do we even begin to achieve it? Dr Corbett is in a 10-part series titled 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. Tonight he looks at finding peace. His topic is the second in the series, Discontent with Your Content of Contentment. Here's the picture that I want to give you. It's a bit of a word picture. It's from the day we are born, our lives are being moulded like a lump of clay. You are not now who you were several years ago and hopefully you are not yet who you will be in, in a few years. And in a few years, you can be a much better person with a much bigger capacity for handling life's ups and downs. And if you've lived life for longer than five minutes, you'll realise that life indeed does have ups and downs. So the picture is of a, a lump of clay. And where is that clay best situated when it's on the potter's wheel? You can imagine if it was on the edge of the potter's wheel as the wheel is hurtling around, it's going to get sprayed off that potter's wheel. And even if it didn't, it's going to distort. Whereas the potter wants that clay in the middle of the wheel. And that's the best place for that clay to be. And I'm going to suggest that it's in the middle of the wheel in life, so to speak, that you find balance in life. And many people always seem to be going from crises to crises and this turmoil to that turmoil and that conflict to this conflict. And their life is never a life characterised by peace and balance. And I used to think this was just an adult problem. And then when you realise that we have primary schools across our state that have full-time psychologists dealing with some of the challenges and difficulties that eight, nine, ten-year-old children are facing, you realise this is not just an adult problem. This is a, a life problem that's affecting everybody. So this is where, if you can find the middle of the wheel, the middle of the potter's wheel, this is where you're going to find peace. Peace. And I want to describe what this peace looks like. Because there was an artist who entered into a competition for artists where they were, the brief was to paint a picture of peace. And people painted a picture of a baby in a mother's arms and a picture of a, a landscape, a rural landscape, the sun shining and, and the birds just there doing their thing. And someone, the, the painting that actually won was of a torrid, stormy night. The wind and the waves battering against a cliff and tucked in a cleft in the cliff was a seagull. And that won the picture, the brief of paint peace. In the midst of life's storms, that's when you need peace. It's easy to have peace when there's nothing going wrong. That's not when you really need it. It's quite natural then. So peace is when you're experiencing something that even though when life is in turmoil and difficulties abound, you can have peace. What, what else is the middle of the wheel, balance, a balanced life going to produce? I think it's going to produce gratitude. And when, when we define gratitude, we, we might define it this way, being thankful for what you've done. Being thankful for what you've done, what you've achieved, 
and what you've acquired and the relationships that you've formed. Having a life of gratitude. That tells me whenever I see someone like that, that this is someone who's got a few things figured out about life. And what else characterises someone whose life is in the middle of that potter's wheel, being shaped and moulded the way they were designed to be, is that they are generally, and Stephen mentioned it this morning as we took up our offering, but it was, he was exactly right, happy. They look and experience happy. When your life is in balance, you experience happiness. And how do we define happiness? What is this thing called happiness? It's a gladness which makes life delicious and it makes memories sweet and fond and it causes you to see people as adorable. That's happy. That's happiness. Here's my question. Who wants that kind of balance in life? Who wants to find that place where you are just in the middle of the wheel, where you're experiencing peace, you are just so grateful, and you're generally happy? Me and three others. The rest of you, I can only assume you have arthritis in your shoulders. So here's how it begins. It starts in our heart. Like all real true transformations, it happens from the inside out. And this is the thing that makes Christianity different, isn't it? A lot of religions focus on behaviour, the outside, the externals. Not really focused on the heart. Christianity is exactly the opposite. It's what transacts on the inside. Things change on the inside. And then those things work out. So behaviour is often, sometimes, the last thing to change. But the first thing to change is our heart. Our heart changes. And how can our heart change so that we can enjoy being in the middle of the wheel with the hands of God shaping our lives? And if you want someone to shape your life, I assume you want someone who loves you. And I assume you want someone... Because they love you, they really care about you and they care about your welfare and your best interests. And I also assume that the person you want influencing your life, you're quite confident they know more than you. And, and, and I hope that, that as you can think, oh, oh, who is it in the universe that knows more than me and who is it in the universe above all other people cares for me more than anyone? I hope you realise that is God. And if you'll allow him to shape your life, you can come to this place of finding peace and gratitude and happiness, but it starts in the heart. How does that happen? Our hearts can only be transformed by God through prayer. So here's a prayer that occurs in the Old Testament. It's in one of my favourite books of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, and I try to read Proverbs regularly, and I try to read Proverbs regularly because it promises that if you do, you'll get wisdom. This is how wisdom comes. And someone who was born with quite a wisdom deficiency, I have a lot of catch-up to do, so that's why I read Proverbs a lot. And this is the prayer that we find in the second last chapter of the book of Proverbs. It says this, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And this is, this is this beautiful aspect of the prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So you could hear that this 
this writer of this prayer is saying, God, I come to you now. I want my heart not to, you know, there's the first thing, not to be given to falsehood. There's the truth. And we saw that as the first principle for living a balanced life, dealing with the truth. And then don't, don't always be wanting stuff that you haven't got, thinking, if only I had the newest, insert word beginning with I here, iPhone, iPad, um, you heard about the guy who bought an I something for each member of his family, bought his daughter an iPod, bought his other daughter an iPhone, bought his son an iPad, bought his wife an iRon, and um, <laughs> finding balance in life requires that you not only change your heart and allow your heart to be changed by God, and that's a great prayer, asking God to help you to be content with what you have and asking God not to help you, not, not to give you too much, lest, lest you are not grateful, and not to give you not enough, lest you steal. And here's the next thing that's got to happen. You actually have to have a change of mind. And it requires, in a change of mind, it requires that we begin to think differently. We begin to learn things that we, we didn't know. And this is this is the only way that the mind can be transformed if, if we're learning new things, if we're learning things that are helpful. And having a hunger to learn, a hunger to know things that we don't know and we, and we need to know, I think is something the Bible commends. And the Apostle Paul could say this about this kind of life balance. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He wrote this in Philippians 4.11. For I have learned... Hmm. I wonder how he did. I wonder how he learned. I wonder what it was that taught him this. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Philippians 4.11. There is something that I think the, the Apostle Paul must have learned because everyone has to learn it if you want to find this kind of balance in your life, this kind of peace and joy and happiness. And it's this. There is something that is absolutely guaranteed to deny it to you. Absolutely guaranteed to prevent you from finding it. If you entertain this, you cannot find happiness. You just can't. And in fact, the Bible says not only will it get into your heart and cause your heart to be perpetually unsettled, it will get into your heart and it will cause you to think everybody else is better off than you. It will cause you to think in your heart, everybody gets what they want, but I never do. It'll get into your heart and think that everybody is better off than you and life is unfair. If you allow this thing, and it's called envy, to get a grip of you, if you entertain envy, what does envy look like? You see something that someone has, and you wish you had that. Now, in one sense, that's not a, there's a sense in which seeing someone, if you were back in the day of horse and cart, and you saw someone who had a car, and you go, gee, that would make life easy if I had a car. Not necessarily their car. It's when you go that night and steal their car, that's when it's a problem. But, when, but there's a sense in which someone might be doing something better or smarter or more efficiently. You go, yeah, that, that would make life easier. We're not talking about that kind of an admiration. We're talking about envy, wanting something that is someone's. Kim and I watched um, 
a thing last night, I was on the TV, it was just there in the background really. It's usually about someone who gets away with it and this, this sort of like 60 minutes, although it's quite a bit longer than 60 minutes because that's what's called 48 hours. They, they, they do this whole background thing on this story and show that the guy who got away with it was clearly, clearly um, guilty. And because of this thing called uh, double jeopardy, they can never be tried and so they'll, they'll get away with murder for the rest of their life. And I've watched two or three of these and the one I watched the other day, um, uncomfortably, was uh, the story of a pastor who began to have marriage troubles and whenever you're having marriage troubles you're in a very vulnerable position because he saw a, a young lady who he thought, now if only I was married to her, I wouldn't be having these troubles. Does anyone hear the word envy coming into this guy's heart at this point? And the result was he ended up, since it's a show about getting away with murder, you can guess what he did to his wife. He murdered her. Well done, no one. He murdered her. <laughs> he murdered her and, and he, he made it look like suicide and he got away with it. And the irony of, as it turns out, why he did it was that after that happened, the woman whom he thought he would form a relationship with wanted nothing to do with him. Now, he couldn't get a job. His church didn't want him as pastor anymore. And he, and, uh, go figure. And, and now, years later, as they're tracking down the story, he's never been able to get a job. He's never been able to form a relationship. And no one really wants to know him. And you think, man, was that worth it? Clearly not. And then we saw one last night where an FBI agent also... Uh, killed his wife because he had started to have a relationship with another woman whom he thought the same thing. I would be much better off if I was married to her. How often do we hear this story play out where in the end this envy gets in and, and well, this is, this is what the Bible says will happen if you allow envy into your heart like this. A tranquil heart, a heart of peace, the kind of peace that we're talking about, gives life, there's that life balance, gives life to the flesh. But envy makes the bones rot. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Envy, or the word we often confuse for envy, jealousy is like a cancer to the bones. It will actually physically have an effect on you. Do you know that your emotions often have a physical effect on you? And envy can create all kinds of negative emotions that can have a very negative effect on you. Now, here's how you can see someone who's got the cancer of envy lives and how they see the world. They see the world from their side of the fence. They look over the fence and it always looks like the grass over the other side of the fence is greener than their grass. And here's what I've discovered about life. The grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. It's just not. I remember, uh, you know, as a pastor, you know, I, I, I admire some pastors who have, you know, really big churches and they, they preach really well and they do all kinds of things. And, and, I, and, and I, there was one particular pastor I thought, man, he's got it together. Look at this guy. He's really, he's got his act together. And then... In, in a private session with a group of other pastors, he shared his story. And his, and his story was that he had to take sleeping pills to sleep at night 
He's in therapy for the stress that he's under in trying to care for a church of thousands of people. His, and he went through all these things where at one point his mind was so fuzzy, he came up to the steps of the stage and he, didn't, he couldn't remember how you actually walk up steps. I'm thinking, man, you can have all that. That's, I do not envy you at all if that's the kind of stress that you've endured to get to where you're at. So maybe I'm going to suggest to you, you do that in your arena as well. And I'm going to say to you, you probably have greener grass growing in your front yard of life than you realise. You're actually probably better off than you realise. So here's what I've discovered. The grass is not always greener on the other side, but the grass is definitely, definitely always greener wherever you water it. And you might think, huh, it's all right for you, Andrew. You're married to a really hot wife who's awesome and super, which is all true. <laughs> but your grass may not be as green as you want it, so water it. Your marriage may not be what, it, what, what you had hoped for, so water it. Your relationship with your children may not be what you are hoping for, so water it. The grass will always be greener wherever you water it. What I'm describing, a life in the middle of the wheel where that wheel is gently turning around, not, not hurling around. The potter doesn't need that thing to go you know, 24,000 RPM. It just has to go a few hundred RPM. It's just gently moving around just enough so he can continually shape and mould that clay. And if we're the clay, as it says in Jeremiah 18, we're the clay, he's the potter. He, he, he knows what's best and let his touch shape you. And in that, in that place, you can enjoy peace. You can be grateful that it's his hands on your life, not anyone else's. You can be grateful for all that he's doing in your life and come to that place where you're, you're enjoying, you're actually enjoying life. And life becomes, here's this, how's this for a word? When someone asks you, how's life? Try this one. Life right now is delicious. I just think that there's some foodies here that can relate to that. Life is delicious. So here's the best chance you have of finding contentment in the middle of the wheel, finding contentment in the middle of your life. Number one, be more thankful. Here's a question for you. What if tomorrow you only had what you were thankful for today? Let me put that another way. What if today you only had what you were thankful for yesterday? How much would you have in life? The Bible actually says this, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks, how often? Always. For, for everything. <laughs> what? We can, we can come into this place of, of peace and gratitude and happiness and contentment if we learn to be more thankful. Number two, Delay your gratification. And this is a huge problem today. Delay gratification. Here's a, another proverb, and I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll see if we can unpack it a bit, because you may need to kind of figure this one out. Prepare your work outside and get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. It's the picture of the, of the farmer who says, the first thing I'm going to do is clear my land, and then I'm going to build my house while the fields where he would be cropping and perhaps grazing just go to rack and ruin. And this proverb says that's dumb. That's a really dumb thing to do. The smart thing to do is 
sow your fields, graze, graze your cattle, get that organised so that you can have a harvest, an income to build your house. And there's a principle in life. This life principle is work first, play later. Work first, play later. Delay your gratification. Does anyone have a wish list of things they would like to acquire? Ebony does, because we did this as a family. Oh, Beck, yep, great. Michael, good, there's some here. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing, and it helps you to delay gratification, but it also helps you to identify, I would, I would like to get this one day. It doesn't have to be today. And, and, it, and it causes you to think in terms of living a content, balanced life rather than a, a random, chaotic life. Number three, cultivate generosity. Cultivate generosity. You know, have, have, have you ever... Um, gone out for a meal with a few people and quietly gone over to the counter and paid for the lot. Can I see your hand? Because I, I want to wangle a lunch invite. Um. <laughs> it, it actually hurts you financially, but then there's something in your heart that goes, gee, I, I feel really good having done that. Now, I've done that more often than I know. And and I, and I go through that. I think, oh, this is, you know, but I'm going to do it, and I'm glad I've done it. Glad I've done it. And I've discovered that, there, that there's a principle in life when you cultivate generosity. And again, it's out of Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 11. It says this. There's one who gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another who withholds what he should give and always suffers want. So there's this principle that if you're generous, the potter, We'll give it back to you. It's a beautiful principle. And if you don't believe it's true, just try it. I heard a CPA, that's uh, a, an accountant who, his name is um, Ken McGregor, and, and he said this, I, I absolutely guarantee you, based on firstly God's word, and secondly, as an accountant, I'm telling you that if you will tithe and put God first and learn to be generous, you will never be worse off financially. And he, he made this astounding promise. He said, in fact, I'm so convinced of this based on scripture and my professional um, career uh, experience that I make this commitment to you. If you will learn to do that and you are worse off, I will personally make up the difference. And I remember hearing that as a teenager thinking, well, I've, I've, now I've got nothing to lose. And as I've taken his challenge throughout life, I've discovered he's right. I've never had to write to him at all and say, I need a refund. Not at, not at any stage. Plus, he died about 10 years ago, so it didn't work anyway. So. <laughs> Number four, and here's the big one. This is where I just want to finish this one. This is how you can live a life of peace, a life of gratitude, a life of generosity. And this is the big one. Maybe this really should be number one, but we'll finish with this one. Number four, worship the one true God. And here's why that's so important. When you worship God, suddenly this whole idea that life is about you gets flipped on its head because it's not about you. I, was with a, I had breakfast with a friend this week who was talking about a friend of his who wrote a book and it, went, it sold really, really well. And a publisher picked him up and said, okay, we want you to write for us now as a publisher. And, and, he, and he wrote the next book and he gave it to the publisher and the publisher said, mm, no, it's a good book, but we don't like the title and we need you to tweak a few things in it. 
And he said, what's wrong with the title? He said, you need to put the word me in it. Because when people think this is going to help them, it's about me, they'll buy the book. Just need to have me. Apparently, it's one of those key publishing words for a title of a book, me. And you know, life is not about me. And when you worship, you're reminded of that. When you worship, you are reminded life is about the potter. It's about your creator. And when you put life in perspective, suddenly when life, the storms of life come your way, you say, God, I need your help. I worship you. I surrender to you because worship is surrender. Worship is surrender. And you may be struggling in life with your relationships. You may be struggling in life financially. You may be struggling in life with your health. Can I tell you that as you worship, those things may not, the circumstances may not change, but your heart and your mind and your disposition will. This is what we read in John chapter 9, verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Wondered? Some people wonder who, who never go to church, they never read their Bible, they've never surrendered their life to Christ, and they go, oh God, I've tried him. Yeah, see, that's me talk language. That's, that's the language of I'm in control. It's all about me. I'm just going to rub the bottle. The bo no genie popped out. God. <laughs> Worship is exactly the other way. Worship is saying, God, you are God and I'm not, and I worship you. Jesus said this, the happiest man who's ever lived, the man who experienced more peace than anybody else has ever experienced, the man who was more grateful than anyone who's ever walked the planet, said this. By the way, he's also the most generous man that's ever lived. He said this, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And if you will, you'll find your life that may be feeling like it's falling apart, feeling like this is not the script I had. This is not the plan I had for my life. Oh, my life is out of control. I don't know if things can get any worse. That may be your story right now. And it's not like you have to walk up Mount Everest to come back to the middle of the wheel. And this is the thing you'll hear me say Sunday by Sunday, you are never a million miles from God. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter who knows what you've done, you are never a million miles from God. You are always just one step. And that step is a step where you turn around. And He's right there. He's right there. You can go from the very outside of the potter's wheel to the very centre of the potter's wheel in one step. And that one step is saying, God, I've made a bit of a mess of my life. And this is the prayer I prayed as a teenager, by the way. And I need you to come into my life. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. Please rescue me. Help me to be shaped by you in the middle of your will and wheel for my life. Come on, let's stand. I'm only going to make this a prayer. I, I, I sense there are some here today and perhaps you can leave here today having prayed that prayer. And I'm going to make this promise to you, an absolute rock solid guarantee based on what God says in His Word. If you seek me, you will find me. God says, if you call upon my name, you will be saved. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And maybe it's, this is you. Maybe you feel like you're just so far away. But right now, the Father, the one who loves you best, who loves you most, the one who cares for you, the one who knows you best and knows you most, is now summoning you, my child, and opening up his arms as your heavenly Father and saying, come to me, come to me and sit here in the middle of my potter's wheel and let me shape your life. And if that's your prayer, if that's your heart right now, will you pray this prayer? Father, I'm asking you to forgive me. I come to you now and I want you to have your way in my life. I thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And now, Lord, I give my life to you and ask that you would take it and make it your own. In Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, for us as a church, that we will be your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your feet, to be able to care for the lost, the hurting, the broken. That, Father, we can truly be a church that does help make life better. In Jesus' name. Being thankful and displaying gratitude begins with a change of heart. It's, and it's an essential ingredient in finding peace on your way to a balanced life. More from Dr. Corbett next week with bowing down when you should be standing up. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, part two of the top 10 proven keys to living a balanced life, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.